0: Hi, and welcome to What Were You Thinking? Brought to you with Vestiaire Collective and hosted by me, Henry Sumner Holland. Yep, Sumner. Parents thought it was a good idea. I think it's child abuse. Before we get started, I just want you to know that this podcast is not about my guests' fashion fails. It's all about the fashion moments that have shaped their lives and careers and how they've harnessed the power of fashion and used it as a form of expression. Like the time I decided that it was really great to go out dressed like the contents of a pencil case around 2006, 2007. We all remember that, right? Invade my space, Paloma Faith. Watching the way Paloma Faith approaches her style choices and harnesses the power of fashion to a fashion geek like me is exciting. For the amount she dresses up, you could be forgiven for thinking that it's a disguise of sort to protect us seeing the real her. And yet she has a disarming warmth that would take heart of stone to resist. Known for her 1940s vintage glamour looks, which are part Vera Lynn and part Scylla Black, Paloma's most certainly not afraid of a strong look. Yet each and every outfit she dons, you get a really strong sense of who she is. And however big the dress or the hat, the personality always shines brighter. Even when she walked onto the pyramid stage playing Glastonbury, attached to two six-foot helium balloons. There's frequent chatter in the tabloids about her distinctive and sometimes arresting outfit. And her voice is just as recognisably unique and powerful. I'm eager to hear how she sees her image in the public eye. Are her stage looks part of a work uniform she uses to distinguish the different areas of her life? What kickstarted her love of vintage 40s fashion? And how has her style evolved over time? After giving birth three years ago, has her attitude to her own fashion choices changed in any way? And is she anxious or excited to see how her child will develop their own sense of self through fashion as a form of expression? I'll be taking Paloma through some of her most iconic looks. And you can follow along and see all the outfits we're talking about on our Instagram page at What Were You Thinking Podcast. And why not send us some of your favourite fashion moments? Just use hashtag WWYT podcast. Hi Paloma, how are you?
1: I'm good. Happy to see you. Other human life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, how has your lockdown been? Has it been all right? Has it been
1: Yeah, I think like most people it's been a bit of a roller coaster of um the my initial reaction was fear. Yeah. And then i started to basically I really ended up enjoying it because I felt like all of the bits of my career that i found a bit distracting were taken away like all the celeb stuff yeah and it was so nice to just be creative and sort of remember that like i I did go to art school and that i am quite good at like making stuff out of nothing and i learned how to um vocal produce myself and recorded a whole album i was sort of i was like nearly finished an album before and then it didn't seem relevant so in lockdown i sort of we did it all and wow. it's coming
0: out in October. Oh my God, you're one of those lockdown overachievers. Everyone's going to come out and be like, what did you do in lockdown? They'll be like, I put on three stone. You'll be like, well, I wrote and produced my own album. <laughs> um, I co-produced it and recorded three videos. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was your... Wait
1: till you hear it, it might be crap. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Just like, oh yeah, do you know she kept going on about this amazing lockdown album it's like, oh, she's gone avant-garde <laughs> well you've
0: got one in the part you've got one in the wings in case this one doesn't get it's a bit shit you could just be like oh let's get the other one back out okay so today we're going to talk about fashion um but kind of fashion and how it's shaped and informed your life and you know you as an artist yeah. you as an actress and you as a woman and, and as a mother really um so to start off, what are, what are your earliest memories of fashion? Is it based around pictures of you, childhood pictures of you, where you see yourself in an outfit and you remember how that outfit felt, or do you remember the way that you you know felt about clothes as a kid?
1: My mum was one of eight children, and I had five aunts, and my mum and her aunts are very glamorous, and but like glamorous in the way that they just they hate like overspending on clothes. They hate the whole like designer brand thing. They're all just like into making a fabulous look out of nothing. Like I went to the charity shop and I bought this top three quid. And that is like the the absolute like benchmark of fashion icons. And actually quite funny, but my mum worked in Hackney Council for 48 years in education and quite often I meet people who were taught by her and everyone always says to me, I just remember she was so glamorous. She was like a proper milf, like (laughs) full leopard, you know, like with her daughter and her big glasses with gold, you know, like everything was full on. Suddenly
0: so much about your fashion and style is making so much sense. Yeah.
1: I always, in my whole life, have always had a look because my mum refused to let me Mm. choose my own clothes as a kid. She didn't believe in kids choosing their clothes. And I, like, in the 80s, I I was, like, six, and I had, like, denim jacket with all punk badges on it with political statements on, you know, ban the bomb, anti-racism, LGBT, like, everything (laughs) was, like, uh, and I was seven.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Walking down the street, like, oh, yours.
1: Maggie, Maggie, out, 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 like all (laughs) the no-factor. So... Fashion was always like...
0: A powerful tool in your family, right?
1: Yeah, a powerful tool. And like everyone, I grew up around these women and if anything ever went wrong, they just their whole ethos was like, put an outfit on, put some lipstick on and go out with your head held high. And that was basically, you know, all of them had their fair share of hardship or whatever, but they, you just knew that the more dressed up they were, the worse things were at home.
0: yeah. <laughs> It was like an armour, it was like, (laughs) um, there's a Bill Cunningham quote and he said that fashion is the armour to survive everyday life.
1: Totally. So that was sort of, yeah, that's kind of like how I grew up and then, so I always remember clothes being really important, even to the point where, because my mum was a single parent and she was working, she'd always lay my outfit out for the next day, the night before. Amazing. So that does something to a child's mind as well, that you've got to, like, think in advance what you're going to wear. And it was just like a normal day at school. And she'd have it out with the pants and socks, the same colour. Like, everything would coordinate everything.
0: So there's a picture. Did did she knit? No. No, because you've posted quite a few pictures of of you and your mum on social media. And so when I was, like, looking at researching pictures, there's quite a few in a scarf with a matching hat yeah that that's kind of a theme
1: she's very much into colour coordination which I think in is my little rebellion is I quite like a clash <laughs> but um <laughs>
0: <laughs> just a bit
1: yeah and also a lot of fancy dress parties like she was very inventive with them so like I remember being really embarrassed when I went to them because my mum would just make me a whole look out of cardboard yeah I remember once I went to a fancy dress party and the theme was like famous icons or whatever and I went as Charlie Chaplin and instead of like having a bowler hat I had like a cardboard band with the drawing of a bowler hat on the front and the drawing of a bowler hat on the back and like an old ja- an old jacket of my mum's and my walking stick was just made of cardboard so I couldn't lean on it because it was just bend it wasn't even like cardboard it was just card it was like bruv. A piece of paper.
0: <laughs> it was literally like the blue Peter of fancy dress outfit. Have you got a picture of it anywhere?
1: Probably somewhere I can send to you. But I'll get my mum to dig it out. But I always remember winning um, like fancy dress competitions because of it. But I always felt so embarrassed and ashamed because all I wanted was like the one out of the packet.
0: <laughs> just... yeah. You wanted to be a sexy witch on Halloween, and your mum <laughs> was like, "I've got an idea. I'm going to make you Charlie Chaplin out yeah, of Halloween Yeah,
1: we've got a raffia <laughs> and we've got some tissue paper and a stapler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but that that notion of her like laying your clothes out the night before did did you ever like subconsciously or looking back did you ever think that that was like gearing you up for your next day like how you were gonna Present yourself that next day, or was it literally just like, Oh, god, mum, you just leave me alone?
1: I just didn't care as a kid, I would just put on whatever my I liked the fact that it took away the
0: choice the worry
1: from me. Mm-hmm. And um, I to this day, I hate shopping, I hate it because my mum spent so much time in shops. Right. I love online shopping, but I hate being inside a shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I just spent most, I just remember like my mum she wouldn't just go to the shop on the weekend it'd be like we, we're going shopping on Saturday and then it'd be like right we've got to do a packed lunch we're waking up at seven we'll be on the bus by eight to miss the thing we'll get there we'll maybe have like a cup of tea in some cat somewhere wait for the shops to open then when they open we do that for eight hours. First
0: one's through the door and then it'd be like Yeah what? and
1: then it takes eight hours and we might go back to shops as well because she wasn't always decisive so she'd be like should I get that coat that we went in the first and I'd just be like
0: <laughs> Just being dragged about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'll be right back with Paloma after this oh! I think You might have guessed by now that this podcast is in partnership with Vestiaire Collective. That's how the French say shared wardrobe. But did you know that they're the leading global platform for pre-loved fashion? Vestiaire Collective are encouraging people to join the circular economy as a sustainable alternative to wasteful fashion. Buying and reselling items instead of throwing them away download the vestiaire collective app and use my special promo code henry at the checkout for 20 quid off when you spend just 150 full T's and c's on vestiairecollective.com i've got my eye on a vintage bag actually so i'm going have to use that code right now when you were embarrassed about the fancy dress costumes, like as you grew up and and as you, you know, were a teenager, did you then, and you made your own fashion choices, did you ever dress to fit in? Did you ever sort of dress to kind of shrink yourself? Because now you've, I see you very much as a person who uses fashion to stand out and, yeah you know, identify yourself.
1: As a teenager, I, I went and immersed myself probably between like sort of age 13 to about 25, I did immerse myself in every subculture that I came in contact with. And I would just like have...
0: Run me through them. (laughs) Run me through them, go on.
1: I would like get the whole fashion and then not until I was 25, someone said to me that I used to trade boyfriends to match as well. (laughs) So if I was in like a sort of... Um, I moment. had been, or a Yardie moment was a big one for me. Or oh, I had a Yardie boyfriend as well. I'd have like whatever matched the look. That's real commitment to fashion, I think you might. Yeah,
0: that really is. But also the way it kind of connects to subcultures and music, like that's always been very like apart. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: all music and exactly. So I would, I think my first one was like very influenced by my mum because she was like big into the 60s. So I went through kind of like the first bit was like a hippie phase and I only listened to 60s music. And then I went in the 90s very plain because everyone tried to dress really simple in the 90s with like the Patrick Cox shoe. Calvin
0: Klein's slip dress and all of that. But...
1: Morgan de Morgan. God
0: rest its soul.
1: And then I went to like a school where it was called Morgan. <laughs> <Not>
0: Morgan. Morgan.
1: <laughs> yeah got Morgan top.
0: <laughs> Did you have Naf as well do you remember Naf Naf?
1: Yeah and Juicy Couture. Oh yeah. And all the boys in Ralphie's. <laughs> that was like a, a, a short period and then I went really into like hip-hop culture. Hip-hop and R&B and I like had a factory,
0: Did you get a new boyfriend? Of course.
1: I, I, <laughs> no, I got my first boyfriend during that
0: time. Okay.
1: So I was like 14-ish. I used to wear feeler trainers and baggy jeans, and my style icon was Aaliyah. And I had like a fat palm up coat and I used to gel my hair to my face and I had Nefertiti earrings. I've still got a Nefertiti necklace.
0: Oh, amazing. And did your mates around you, did they all do, do this kind of like subculture hop or was that just you?
1: Not really.
0: <laughs> One day you'd be walking down the street with your mate of mods and then the next day you'd be like in your full Aaliyah outfit, booed up.
1: But all my friends, I've always been like really loyal. So all my friends stayed the same. They didn't really match me. It would just be me like in some crazy subculture, not with the right people. Amazing. Yeah, then that sort of moved into like UK Garage yeah. and the whole style with that.
0: Were you a backing dancer in a Garage video? I'm sure I... Or... Yeah. Yes. I was trying to find it last night because you were on Grimmy's show talking about it and he asked you a question about the words to a song or something you were like I'm in that video
1: body groove
0: (laughs) that's it (laughs) make your body move oh my god I was about
1: 17 in that
0: wow so you were you did the whole UK garage scene yeah we were you going out to clubs at that point
1: yeah I had like a fake ID from SDA travel (laughs) that I forged a letter to get and I was just like proper like into I was really into clubbing. From about sort of 14 to 18, I would go out every sort of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, (laughs) even though I was at school. But I did really well at school, so nobody really... My my teachers and my mum didn't mind. They were just like...
0: So what phase were you in when you got to St Martin's? Um,
1: Sort of... I would say around that time was when I started working at Asian provocateur and doing all the cabaret and then I was going into like 40s to the point where I would wear like pointy bras and suspenders and stockings every day. My mum used to be like, I don't know what you blokes doing that for. We (laughs) burnt our bras in the 60s. It's so restrictive. I'd be like, sure.
0: <laughs> and so you used to do the full thing like every day, going to college and then going to the store. Because it was like just round the corner, wasn't it? You were Berwick Street store and then like, yeah, on Charing Cross Road. I was
1: in that phase for a while. And I think I was sort of semi in that phase when I first got signed. I think that was a good decade for me of that like vintage, bit nostalgic, specifically 40s and 50s. And then slowly moved a bit 60s and 70s more recently
0: so then let's talk about when you f like when you did first get signed then so we've got some pictures here where I've kind of selected three which I see as being three different stages of your on-stage persona the first one, that was one of the earliest pictures that I could find of you on stage. So was that, do you remember that gig and, and that dress? Where, where were you? What was going on?
1: Everything was secondhand. So I don't, I'm so sorry about that awful bit fur. I'm embarrassed.
0: That's <laughs> all right.
1: Yeah, so that was, I think, at Barden's Boudoir, I think in Dalston, where I was in a band called Ploma and the Penetrators. <laughs>
0: I read about this. Wasn't it the was he the owner of the bar the bar or like yeah
1: it was my bar manager that I worked in the bar and then my bar manager said you're going to be our in our band and I was like you don't even know if I can sing and he said we don't really care <laughs> so yeah, I did that um, and that was from that era I think.
0: But were you were you singing on your own at the time or we you know were you just that was your first experience?
1: Yeah, I was in the band and it was all rock and roll covers, like 40s and 50s music. But it was funny because it was like a theatrical thing because I was still into like R&B and hip hop and garage behind all of that. But I just really loved, I just really loved the fashion and the vibe, vibe, even like the music of the 40s and 50s as well. Yeah. So it's like two things happening at once. From
0: that perspective then, do you see when you're on stage or when you, you, know, you were developing your on-stage persona, what, did it kind of become almost like, n- not acting, but like almost building a character, like your stage persona was more of a kind of front-facing thing of how you wanted to be as an artist rather than who you were, you know, with your mates?
1: Yeah, totally. And I also think as well with me particularly that like... Because we live in like a culture where not that many people have a good sense of humor, I think like people just used to look at it and think I was serious, but I was really having a laugh. Like I was just, I just thought it was funny. And like I'd, I'd literally ask my stylists, like, bring me the most ridiculous thing you can find, or I'd like find references of, from like Busby Berkeley or whatever where they were like dressed up as trees or whatever and I'd be like I want to do a tree thing I want to do you know like it was it was never serious and I think (laughs) in a way like that's followed me to today like in a sort of like a bit of a bad smell people are sort of like a bit like in the fashion world often a bit because now I'm a bit older so I don't do that as much I'm a bit more yeah not serious but I'm just a bit more like I don't really want to be like the laughing stock anymore. I'm sort of, and I think sometimes when I, you know, work with brands or ever, sometimes they're a bit like, oh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: have we have we got any other options?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like she's worn some quite bizarre things, and I'm just like, I was joking. <laughs>
0: One of those outfits has to be when you went to the St Trinian's premiere. Do you remember that one?
1: Oh, the huge um, camp thing. There was a
0: red, I think it was a red bolero with an orange sequin jumpsuit.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it was very like kind of mid-2000s, like, you know, the Odeon kind of film premiere, Leicester Square, all of these like, barely naked girls like doing the over the shoulder on the step and repeat and then you pull up a star of the film. Basically
1: a... <laughs> like um the guy from Fifth Element,
0: yes. isn't it? <laughs> you look like Chris Rock in Fifth Element and you're literally yeah. like, hey guys, I'm the star.
1: Well it was funny because at that event I I remember when I was worn I don't know if it wasn't true but it was that orange thing with the big I remember at that event Alicia Keys was there and it was funny because everyone was laughing at me and Alicia Keys said, I'm not having my picture taken with anyone here apart from that girl. Wow. And she just said to the press, like, don't put anyone in the picture with me. That's who I want to be in the picture with.
0: And I was like, hi. (laughs) Hi, I'm Paloma.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I've actually stayed in touch with her. Have you? Yeah. Since that day, she's just like really lovely. Nice, like, hi, Bloma, how are you? What
0: an amazing thing to do. Like, if she's got that power to kind of say, you know, say to those people, like, no, I'm not doing it unless it's with her.
1: But I think that's a sort of testament to, like, what clothes can do and what clothes have always done for me. Like, when I look back, I think, you know, I've lost things because of that outlandishness, but I've also gained a lot because of it. And I I definitely attribute, I think, a lot of my early success to to it. I don't know if I would have made as big an impact with what the tools I had at the very start of my career, as I did if I wasn't like that. I think people were curious about it. They were like, would ask questions. They'd always talk about it. It had always been the press. And it was an extension of my kind of slightly humorous personality. And I think that it was like a really important, like a not, I don't regret it is what I'm saying kind of thing.
0: No, and and I think I see it very much like it definitely it garnered so much attention, like negative or, or positive, and it definitely got you out there, but then you were able to back it up. I think there's a lot of people in, you know, the music or, you know, entertainment industry that dress outlandishly or crazy, tra- crazily to get that attention, but then they don't have the talent to back it up. And I think, you know, your musical career and how you've, each of your albums has just done better and better than the last. Like, you didn't have second album syndrome at all, did you? You smashed it with that. You were like, oh, hi, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that was kind of why, as you say, it was one of the tools that you used to get those people's attention, but you retained it with your talent and your your musical output, I reckon. Thanks. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, sorry. That was just like... Moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when you started out, um, you know, when you first got signed, was there ever any moments where the label were like, we want you to be like this or, you know, we were they kind of encouraging you to be this outlandish character because they recognised the power in that? Or were you just like, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I look like, sign me or fuck off?
1: So the way that I got signed was because... I first did this showcase to my label and I was really happy with my life at the time like I was working in pubs and I was doing gigs in pubs and sort of juggling a bit of this and a bit of that like magician's assisting and my life felt really full and it was fun and I sort of didn't really want more so when I did my first showcase for the label I ended up signing to the sort of head guy notoriously was sat, and it's in the Skoda advert, they did like a thing about it. But he was sat there like texting, not looking at me singing. And I just stopped the band and I was like stop, stop, stop. And I was like, I'm not gonna like play to someone looking at their phone. I was like, if you don't, if you're not interested, then I'll just leave. And he was like, oh, sorry, sorry. And then I was just like, I don't know, it just makes me feel really shit. I was like really open. I was like, I just don't feel good. And he was like, oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) And then I did like a few songs. And then at the end, he was like, you sound like Amy Winehouse. What are you going to do about it? And And then I listed like a load of sort of white heterosexual indie boy bands that all sounded the same to me. And I was like, I just listed 12 of them. There's one Amy Winehouse. There's probably room for another one.
0: <laughs> Amazing reply.
1: Yeah, and he was just like, he was just like ugh, all confused, and then he sort of left, and it was a bit of a bad taste, and I thought it was really funny, and was just like, oh, do you know what? Like, I, I never even thought I was going to be signed anyway, so it didn't matter. And then nine months later, he contacted me, and he was like, I haven't met a star probably my whole career. He's like, you're a star because you're who you are and he was like I want to sign you and I want you to just be you and so I've never really been asked to do it. well I, since then I have when they left but the people who signed me at the beginning were were basically just like we want you to do you we want you to do you and then as my career's progressed there's been different people asking me to do features
0: and stuff like that (laughs) just different ideas you're like
1: yeah but I've so I always try and do it with a bit of a wink
0: yeah of course (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> what was the process about like building did you have a stylist from really early on or, or was it just you pulling stuff together yourself because you've had some really long-standing relationships with stylists that you've worked with for years haven't you yeah
1: so at the beginning it was just me and then it got gets quickly like too much to keep up with and then um, at first I was starred by Kimmy O'Neill who's A friend.
0: She was my first ever intern at House of Holland. Was she? Yeah.
1: Amazing. So
0: We used to sit in the spare bedroom of my flat that I shared with Aggie and we would pack up the first round of T-shirts that I sold on MySpace and Kimmy would take them to the post office in Primrose Hill and then we'd be like, all right, see you tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so she was my first stylist and then I was styled after her by Carl Willett and then after that now I'm with Phoebe Arnold. Yeah. And I feel like it's been an evolution. I feel like my relationship with Carl Willett was like really long, but it was mainly because I love him and also because he's so efficient and I get so stressed because a lot of stylists are super creative and they sort of show up in one dress and go, sorry, it was all I could get. And you're like, ah! And he would always just like, Take that stress away, and then I feel like over time my style changed, and then it became like this weird pulling between what I looked like when I was on stage and what I looked like off stage. And people had seen me in the street and be like, Well, you look really cool, like, why don't you do that on TV? and it sort of pulled away. So then I was like, I need to find a stylist that dresses me how I dress when I'm not at work. Well, that's when I started to work with Phoebe, who's amazing. And also, I think we started to, like, mould into, like, we can't tell the difference between on and off. stage, And it's actually brilliant as well, because it means if something comes in last minute, she's just like, just do it yourself. And then it doesn't look different.
0: And do you think that evolution is about you becoming more kind of comfortable presenting all sides of yourself publicly? Because, you know, when we talked about the beginning, you were like you created this slightly persona that was very much your onstage persona which was quite different to the garage girl that you were offstage and then yeah now those have gradually merged together to become more aligned
1: yeah I think so but also as well like in the early days that we were you know you and me were both in this like world of like boombox and all the lip syncing at Bistro Take and everything. And it was like a big drag thing Yeah. and like mixed with fashion. And like, it was like the early days, I guess, of like, not the mainstream, like a sort of subculture version of like gender fluidity and stuff. And I feel like I was trying to articulate that in the commercial realm. And it felt like a story that I felt I needed to tell like or represent then the work sort of got, it got to a point where it had become, it became mainstream and lots of people were doing it and it felt like that story had been told. And then it was time for me to like, you know, by then I was in my thirties and stuff and I just thought, maybe you could get a bit more serious.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but You've always, like your teams around you've always been very much a part of that scene, that subculture scene, that East London scene. It's kind of, you've always been very loyal and supportive to that chosen.
1: Yeah, because now I've got, now for my new campaign, I'm working um, with a creative director for the first time, who's Theo Adams. And I've known him
0: since
1: all of that as well. So it sort of keeps coming back and like working with people that i met back then i feel like this campaign is like a bit of a return to those well because i was in lockdown and i was thinking like what do i want to do and what who am i again and trying to go back to it and then i was like calling all these people that i knew from back then so it feels like relevant to now to, to do that
0: yeah and it's very much about like that moment when you kind of found yourself, I suppose, in that crazy boombox life. And it's kind of revisiting that. And that's authentic, I guess, to yeah. where you were before. I just want to talk quickly um about another stage outfit. So I want you to tell me about the Glastonbury Pyramid Stage performance when you <laughs> descended from the roof or you came on. Attached to these two six-foot balloons with this kind of nude, flesh-colored, bedazzled jumpsuit.
1: That was Lyle Hacaraya that was part that made that jumpsuit. Who's who? Was it? Who owns Vogue Fabrics in Dulston? Oh yeah. Still very Hackney East London vibe. I was like a big, big fan of of, of a show that I'd seen. Um, every Christmas called Slava Snow Show and Slava's a clown and he's very moving poetic and he does lots of like I mean I can't even recommend that show enough it's beyond emotional it's like very immersive theatrical performance and he did lots of stuff with wind machines and snow and then like giant balloons that he'd throw into the audience and you'd throw them all up.
0: Was that one of your inspirations for doing because you did the, did you do theatrical design? Or th-
1: yeah scenography at um, St Martin's so like directing and designing for theatre and um, I was also at that time a massive fan of Matthew Barney And he did the Cremaster cycle where this woman had walked onto like a playing field, I think, with two blimps attached to her shoulders. And I was like, I want a blimp.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to be a tree. I want to be a blimp. I could just imagine your stylist just being like, mm hmm.
1: Yeah. But before I went on stage for that, well, my stylist didn't do anything oh, okay. <laughs> for that. I just disassociated
0: <laughs> <This it. laughs> himself completely. He was like, you t- <laughs> Yeah, they were like,
1: off you go. Before I went on stage for that, I had to sign a contract to say that if the winds blew me up, because it was full of helium, that I'd take full liability for any injuries. Oh, I got it. Or, I mean, absence. I might have just, Glastonbury didn't want me to go on with it. And the compromise was that I signed away.
0: Wow, your life.
1: And there were moments because it was a bit windy where I did come off the floor just a tiny bit and I could feel myself doing it and because it was like so full of helium I was just
0: like ah like a little kid with a massive kite just being like oh
1: (laughs) it was worth it it was worth
0: it yeah it was worth it look at it it looked incredible it
1: was really hard to sing very well but it looked good
0: (laughs) I can imagine and
1: obviously I had no rehearsal of that so it was the first time I'd ever done it because it was like too
0: how did you even like get up the backstage stairs to then like get out
1: I cannot really remember but I think a lot of people were holding them right as I and then they were attached to me when just before I went on It's
0: amazing. Do you have a favorite stage costume that you, that you can remember that you think back to?
1: I think my Jules Holland one where I looked like a toilet roll cover was pretty special. <laughs> the gold one.
0: <laughs> I love that reference as well. Just, <laughs> I'm I'm looking at it right now.
1: If you put in Google Paloma Faith toilet Gold Toilet Roll Cover It comes
0: up <laughs> Oh my god <gosh. laughs> You weren't lying Okay we're gonna have to Put this on the Instagram As well so people can see it
1: I've actually I actually bought that Because I thought It was really important That I owned it So I've actually got that
0: Yeah so do you have A lot of your stage costumes Like from over the years That you keep
1: I I have I've got the balloons
0: Where do you keep them?
1: Uh, just in my loft In suitcases <laughs>
0: It's not quite the answer like Eva over with her refrigerated helicopter hangar, is it? <laughs> Sorry, <Could> you...
1: <laughs> they're all in laundry ripped up laundry bags. <laughs>
0: Lo- Loads of those checked laundry bags. Yeah. How did you get the toilet roll cover? Who made that for you?
1: I can't remember the name of the person. It was so long ago.
0: Oh, it was on. It was on a. Was it a single cover as well?
1: Yeah. I got, I got for my first share of wear out of it because I bought it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're like, I will be wearing, I will get be getting cost per wear out of this. Uh...
1: Basically, can we do the whole campaign in it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all like laser cut. Is it leather? Doesn't look comfortable at all.
1: Yeah, it's like plasticky. Pleather.
0: Pleather. It's a
1: pleather dress. Always
0: pleather. That must have been nice and cool and not very sweaty at all (laughs) moving on to the third look as well so um this is you at an event and they've chosen this it's uh what event was this this was um an environmental a
1: climate change summit
0: this is kind of what i see as how you dress today you know you're kind of in a more public presentation sort of you know at events or on a red carpet or whatever but i i love it because basically You're wearing head to toe of one designer. So you're wearing Simone Rocha, which is this sort of layered and gathered ruched sort of white dress with a beaded bag and these amazing platform Mary Janes. It's all very cream. It's a bit bridal really, isn't it? But it's you're you're like guffawing on the red carpet and that's what I love about it because so often when I was looking at pictures of you on the red carpet there's none of this sort of like chin down shoulder out look to the cameras it's very much just like it's you there, like presenting exactly as yourself as your true self and you're just quite often you're laughing hysterically <laughs>
1: I've got a really good technique now because I think I look better in pictures when I'm laughing, so I just fake it. I do. (laughs) Yeah, so I just like go onto the red carpet and I just go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That makes so much sense after looking at pictures of you all night last night. I'm just like, God, she's having a good time. I'm like, I was at that party. (laughs) I was like, I was at that party. It wasn't that fun.
1: The opening of the South End-on-Sea swimming pool was not as fun as that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Paloma's having the time of her life. Just like that.
1: <laughs> no, it's all fake.
0: Oh, my God, that's <laughs> hilarious.
1: Inside, I'm dying.
0: <laughs> inside, I'm like, what's for dinner? But I'm just like... The
1: black void is eating its way <laughs> inside me.
0: <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing.
1: Existential emptiness. <laughs>
0: But you've never felt the need to be kind of anything other than yourself. And Have you ever been to an event where you felt uncomfortable or like you've had to kind of be a bit different to to who you are?
1: Can't think of one. But I also think that the kind of flamboyant, jokey side of me has become a character. So like when I'm at home, I'm not like that. I'm not like...
0: you don't walk in and be like (laughs) how was your day dear
1: (laughs) my my boyfriend just like oh god
0: I would love it if you were just every time you walked into the living room
1: so it's sort of a coping mechanism in a way I also just think that it's it's not just coping it's to do with wanting everyone around me to feel at ease like I don't want to ever be like an intimidating person in the room or not open to people to be able to talk to me that's not like how I want to come across so I sort of think that I overdo the, the open warm thing to just to make people feel okay and like break the break the ice
0: that's so true. And I suppose like with some of your more like more outlandish looks from earlier, people might be like, oh, God, stay away from her. She's mental. But then when you're like,
1: hi it's really not good, though, when like terrible things are happening at home <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, oh.
0: you're at a climate change summit and you're like,
1: hilarious. That's ending. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Have you you noticed a difference in the way that you dress since you became a mother? Like, has that changed your approach to clothes at all?
1: Um, When I'm not at work, I'm way more casual. Like, I definitely don't wear... I used to wear heels all the time. I was obsessed by my height. And now I'd say i more often than not, don't... I wear flats, and that's a big difference. Um, It sort of changes the way I stand and the way I behave and run and walk and stuff.
0: But can you imagine being cone bra and suspended up and like full kind of hair twist, like every day now?
1: I've actually tried them on because, you know, like when you're in a long term relationship and you're trying to spice things up. And I'm just like, get this off. I'm just like, get this off. It's awful. I'm so uncomfortable. just like, he's like, please, just like, I don't know, it'd be nice to do something different. I was like, fuck (laughs) off.
0: Leave me alone, would you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I do think like a bit more casual. And what I really like about working with Phoebe Arnold is that she's very much like that. Like her styling's quite practical it's like
0: also a new mom as well
1: yeah she is too and it but what's really nice now is that I go to events and I never sort of feel like teetering and trussed up and like oh hi like I used to feel whereas now I sort of just like stomp in with my <laughs> boots on or whatever she's put me in a bit she's like into a bit punky and a bit off and it takes me like way less time to get ready and I can do my own hair and makeup because she's like don't do too much just sort of do that and
0: then Duh, you're, yeah you're like ta-da <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's much less like it's much lower maintenance as well because like when you've got to put your baby to bed and then go to an event or whatever
0: mm. you don't
1: want to sit for like with the rollers in for a hundred years for...
0: and how do you think you'll approach like dressing your child like you know how your mum used to like really get you dressed up and you're like you put
1: oh I've al- I'm already doing it my kids my kids like the best dressed kid ever. Everyone, can't, people stop us on the street and they're like, "Where'd you get that? So
0: cool!" And you're still behind. And you're still behind. Like, hi. I. I what
1: about? I- <laughs> yeah. Hello. I'm to <laughs> Say, God. Move out the way. <laughs> no. We sometimes wear matching outfits which is cool do
0: you do you do the mini me yeah like? but it's
1: fun like and everyone looks at you like you're just an idiot and it sort of harks back to my day of not giving a flying fuck <laughs> and I'm just like yay <laughs>
0: <laughs> how do you think you'll you'll be you know when they start kind of expressing themselves with fashion and and kind of you know going out to clubs and stuff will you be
1: when I was a teenager, my mum used to call me Saffron.
0: Like Safi from Ab Fab. Yeah. After
1: Safi. She'd be like, shut up, Saffron. And in her, like, decadent, she really related to that character. And I was just, like, in the 90s trying to simplify, just a T-shirt and jeans and some Patrick Cox's. Um, and she was just like, oh, God, you look awful. Put some lipstick on.
0: <laughs> so do you think you'll embody... <laughs>
1: brown brown what sort of lit color is that we had
0: we had this conversation when alexa was on and because she once asked a friend of ours she was like why do gays not like me and without missing a beat he just was like because you wear brown <laughs> 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 and never has anything made more sense to her and all the gays in the room and everyone just went oh yeah yeah
1: yeah, she wears brown. That that
0: nineties that terracotta oh, yeah, lip. That clinic yeah,
1: I was sporting. My mum was like, "That's not a lipstick."
0: <laughs> Show her Kylie Jenner's billions. Be like, "There you go, mum." <laughs> brown. <laughs> um, but do you think you'll you'll embody that same kind of character as a mum? Just be like, "Come on, pick it up."
1: Yeah, I've got over my career being so public and being so outlandish I'm very accustomed to being embarrassing and I quite enjoy it so I think I'll just gently slip into that role without much effort
0: (laughs) amazing (laughs) you mentioned like really early on about your your mum putting you in the political badges and the denim shirt and you've definitely used your platform um you know quite a lot recently but just actually throughout your career to talk about you know political issues or environmental issues or issues that you've kind of felt strongly about is that yeah is that something that it was kind of you know a part of your upbringing that like you and your mum were very passionate about those kind of things or is it something that you felt more comfortable being vocal about now that you feel more secure in your career or your public persona
1: i've always done it but i just haven't done it as publicly So throughout my career, for example, since I got signed, because I've always made, like if you look at any video of mine, it's always multicultural and it's always like diverse amongst gender and like, I often cast misfits and there's like always, you know, every sexual preference represented and like, I've always done that. And it wasn't by accident. I, it's, it comes from me sitting with casting directors and saying, "I want this, this, and this, and I want."
0: Did you ever have to fight for it more than you felt you should have? You know, did you ever have to say, "Look, this isn't diverse enough. I want to have it a bit more this way. I want to include more people."
1: Usually takes like two rounds for me. So they start, and it looks. I can see what tokenism looks like. So I say, "No, I don't want that. That's not." What I want, I want more like a cross section, not tokenism. Um, And it's also to reflect like my friendship groups and growing up in Hackney. And like, I feel very like that's a huge part of my identity. So it'd be weird for me not to do that. I don't know if you heard recently, but I recently spoke about a story about With Only Love Can Hurt Like This. The video that I shot um, with um, a friend of mine called Dennis, who's from Uganda he is a love interest and he's got this amazing story about how he came as a refugee fleeing war and his family escaped you know it's the first song that i'd ever had like global number ones with and i was flown to america by um, an african-american head of label he basically said to me like this is your big moment to break america we're going to put a load of money behind this, we think that this is gonna be the time that seals you a career in America for good. And I was like, so excited. I was like, (laughs) ah, yeah. He said, you just have to do one thing for me. You need to reshoot the video because I can't have you kissing a black man in it. And I was like, yeah. And that—that that, this is like the big conversation about what about how racism systemic. It's not just yeah, like it—it is perpetuated by all because it's in the system, mm. and it's about also, you know, he was probably thinking about his position, finances, all of this awful stuff. So I don't sort of think, oh, you're a evil bastard but i do think that it's a tragedy that that was even so anyway so i basically long story short said no i'm not gonna and then he was like well i'll fly you back and that would be it then and i was like i don't want to break america on those terms so i just got flown back and i never heard from them again
0: and how did the song do in america
1: well it didn't get released because of it
0: oh they didn't even release it? no wow
1: it was actually the only one of my albums that wasn't didn't even have a soft release they didn't put it out because I said no
0: but you can feel you can feel like comfortable in that decision now you would have always any success that would have come off the back of that you would have felt
1: it were awful yeah and I've always been like that and I won't I'm not somebody who sits in the room and overhears a conversation that I disagree with and doesn't say something like I couldn't sit and listen to homophobia and just go I have to turn around and go, sorry, but this is really offensive to me.
0: I'm just thinking about my own reaction. If I was in the room and heard homophobia, I think part of my decision to sit there and do that maybe would be not wanting to identify myself or like open myself up to... You know like an attack or or violence or whatever however it may work
1: this is why i think with the whole sort of like lgbtq and uh, black lives matter that's happening at the moment is it's actually the duty of those that aren't affected by it to speak up against it because actually it can feel really awful if you do that and and it is you you're that demographic and it can turn bad
0: but also we're say there's a safety we you know we have a safety around us speaking out about it when you know it's not particularly affecting you personally because you can stand in front of something and say that's not right and not feel like you're opening yourself up
1: exactly I i see that as my duty and but people are often sort of surprised You know, when I say things anyway, because they're like, oh, well, what's it matter to you? And I'm like, what? So you're only allowed to defend against moral injustice if it affects you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so that's kind of like something that I would say I've always done. But, you know, like social media wasn't around at the beginning as much and like different ways of articulating yeah, like it's not really a bandwagon thing for me. I just always have and I had a different type of education than a lot of people because I was brought up in Hackney and there's a big there was in the eighties like a big tradition of inclusivity. We were trained as kids growing up in education to learn about gender, race and even sexual orientation politics. I, I remember it being part of my education I remember like kids at school coming out and it being celebrated obviously there's like the opposite but I just come from like a a generation where that happened I feel like it's sad to me that it's gone away
0: because you would hope that every generation improves and gets more inclusive and more open and it hasn't and this kind of current conversation like conversation or current situation is really like made people realize that that it's not you know improved like a lot of people would like to think
1: yeah and I think a lot of people as well especially with race relations in Britain think that oh it doesn't happen here it's all American actually that's nonsense yeah I do see it as a duty and I think it's part of being in the public eye is that you actually have to do it I see it as not even a choice
0: because you've got a platform you've to use it yeah amazing okay and what's next when's the when's the lockdown album coming out that's
1: out in october
0: okay amazing
1: and i've got a single out this summer which is sort of supposed to encapsulate all of the stuff we've spoken about in this conversation it's called better than this and then i'm also filming pennyworth which is my other job that i do where i act as Bette serial killer
0: so i wanted to ask you actually about your acting because i yeah i love you being a serial killer i love that but how important is the costume like as, in terms of your, your process as an actress? Do you get any say or any access to that? And does it feel weird and different because, you know, you're able to direct your costumes, quote unquote, as a musician, whereas your characterisation in Pennyworth is kind of done for you?
1: It's so important when we first invented sort of together I had this idea of what she was and when you first see her in series one with sort of like this dinner lady Myra Hindley hair and a frumpy dress that was the character that that was spot on for the character and then now it's like getting sexier and like more youthful and I find it like I have to take a bit more time to get into the role when I can't look in the mirror because it sort of too sexy.
0: Was it the director or the costume designer that allowed you to kind of have that input and work with them on building that?
1: Yeah, at first, but then like, you know, the Americans like a bit of a sex appeal in a woman, so they changed it.
0: (laughs) You were like, I want Myra Hindley in a frumpy dress.
1: Yeah, I was like, I want the most unattractive, horrible, hard-nosed bitch. And then they were like, we don't want to fuck her. (laughs)
0: So now she's fuckable and (laughs) psychotic. Now she's fuckable and and I'm a star. (laughs) And Paloma, you've brought in an amazing piece, which you're going to donate and it's going to be sold on Vestiaire Collective with all of the proceeds going to the charity of your choice. So what is it that you're going to donate and who is your chosen charity.
1: I'm going to donate um, a beautiful old black suit of mine from Alexander McQueen McHugh brand. The charity I would like to donate to is Womankind.
0: And so if you want to get your hands on a piece of Paloma, make sure you download the Vestiaire Collective app and search what were you thinking in the search bar. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Paloma. That's been so fun to chat through all of that. Thank you. I'm off to go and look at pictures of Paloma fake laughing on the red carpet. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'll be back with another incredible guest next time to hear all about their major fashion moments. Until then, I'll keep you entertained on Instagram at What Were You Thinking Podcast and I'll where I'll get my shit together and post some TikToks at wwwyty_podcasts. If you like what you heard, let us know. Give us a rating. Five stars are always preferable. Three words, no emojis in the uh, reviews, please. I'm off to go and check out the Vestia Collective app to see if anyone's bought Paloma's piece. See ya.